In Matthew chapter 5. And we again looking on at the Sermon on the Mount as Matthew presents the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews who's finally come to fulfill the prophecy and all the promises that Jesus has given. Um, so, uh, I just want you to know I had uh, three cups of coffee at men's prayer breakfast this morning. So my wife already told me I should be done in about 15 minutes. Okay, because I don't drink coffee anyway, and now I'm caffeined up. So, no, I'm just teasing. But uh, we're looking forward to seeing more and more how to be like our Lord Jesus. And remember, what he was approaching, he was dealing with a Jewish audience and saying, listen, you guys had the whole Old Testament full of rules and regulations that God put there not to remind you of what you need to do to please him, but to remind us that we couldn't please him. Okay, we had ten commandments only, and we can't keep those. Okay, they weren't there to say, oh, well, if you live by these ten commandments, you'll be pleasing to God. God made those commandments to remind us that none of us will ever be pleasing to God on our own. Okay, pastor here of the church, I am a sinner, and I continue to screw up every day. Okay, the issue is not the fact that we could be perfect through acting a certain way. It's that we realize we're imperfect, but God sent a perfect Savior to fix our imperfection. And hallelujah for that. Well, with that in mind, Jesus is looking at these people who have been watching the Pharisees and the scribes who were religious. They had all their ducks in a row. Okay, they tried their best to present the perfect example of a Jewish law keeper. They were the fundamentalists, Bible believers. And Jesus makes the commentary here in Matthew chapter 5. It says, if your righteousness cannot exceed that righteousness of the Pharisees, then you're out of luck. So Jesus begins explaining certain things in the law that people had taken only the letter and not understood the spirit that God was trying to say. And last week we dealt very carefully with this idea, thou shalt not kill. Okay, and that's the Old Testament law, right? Thou shalt not kill. But we understood that when Jesus got a hold of that and said, you guys don't understand this. If you hate your brother, you've killed them in your heart. Not only that, he said, if you call your brother useless, you make a judgment on his character, you make a judgment on his intelligence. If you think you're better than somebody else, Jesus said, that's just as bad. To the point he said, listen, if you have aught with a brother and you haven't taken care of it, you're in danger of the judgment. Now, we're not talking about eternal judgment, but he's talking about as the Jews, listen, if you think you're just keeping the law saying, I have never killed anyone. And I can say, honestly, I have never killed anyone. I have a list. But I have never killed anyone, okay? Come see me later, I'll tell you what number you are. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, no, uh, uh, nope, nope, nothing like that. But that's not, it's not checking off a box to say, I have never taken the life of any human being, so I must be all set with God. Jesus says, that's the letter, man. But if you've hated somebody... If you've wished them dead, if you condes uh, are condescending and think you're better than others, 
looking down your nose at them because you're more intellectual or you're more, come from a better breed of people or you are richer, you any of those things. Jesus says you're violating this law. You guys have kept the letter, but you missed the spirit. Well, today we're going to look at another one. And uh, it's not the easiest one to deal with. There are times going verse by verse through the Bible, I'd like to skip a few ones. Because sometimes some of them are a little sensitive. And there's a part of this passage that is really kind of weird. All right. Uh, so with that in mind, you're in Matthew chapter 5. Look with me if you would. Starting in verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell. That's today's uh, passage this morning. So I want to do a bit of review that I've written down to get us set in the right place, and then we'll continue. So God is more interested in you being who he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do. That is the, if, that's the, for lack of, I hate using that word mantra. Okay, that's the bumper sticker. That's the poster. Put that in your brain. Okay, God is more interested in you being who he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do. That is what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Be content, period. Okay, what if you can't do what God asked you to do or you think God asked you to do? Are you content? A good friend of mine in the faith asked a group of us once, um, if your life what you're doing right now for the Lord is all he ever asks you to do, would that be enough? Because sometimes, you know, we say, well, I wish I had more money, I wish I had a bigger house, a bigger car, better this, better health. Or Some of us spiritualize and say, well, one of these days I could be teaching a class or leading this group. Or what. what if God never has that for you? Are you content doing what God has you doing or what you're supposed to be doing right now? Because we just learned in Sunday school, we just talked about God has given us everything we need to do what we are supposed to do right at this very moment. But you know how many times I have heard young people, well, when I graduate Bible college, then God will use me to, oh really, so you're just going to wait? Well, once I get a chance to lead somebody to the Lord, then I can disciple them. Hmm. Well, once the pastor sits down and teaches us how to really lead somebody to the Lord, then we'll get... How about... Being ready to do what God asks you to do right now. So often, we're interested in doing, 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 and God says, I want you to be. He wants us to love him and serve him because we love him. Not carry out a list of duties to try to prove that we love him. Are you near to the heart of God? Or are we just checking off a box? Okay? God is more interested. And the only way that's going to happen, folks, 
There is churches right now full of thousands of people who've never really made a commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but are doing religious things thinking God is happy. The only possible way that you and I could ever reach a point where we're pleasing to God is if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, period. And you say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? What does the Bible say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There are so many people in this world right now who are trying to please God, but they have not put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're trying to do a bunch of things, and someday I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. Sorry, it's not going to work that way, because all of our works are trash until Jesus gets a hold of us. You don't have any good works, because without faith it is impossible to please God. Will I give money to the poor? Sorry. Will I sit myself uh, in the church every week? Sorry. Well, I might pray a lot. You're not earning any brownie points because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Please remember that. God is so much more interested in you being who he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do. Keep going. All right, Romans, what does it say? Especially the second verse. Be not conformed into this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're talking about. You know what? You can conform to some rules. You know, there was a church, and I'm so glad about this. There was a church I used to go to where all the men had to wear suit and tie every Sunday. And at a certain point in, uh, in the 70s into the early 80s, you had to wear one of them vests, too. Okay? We, they weren't vests. We used to call them Baptist girdles. Right? Suck it in. Oh, and then you couldn't really take a whole deep breath. You know that you wanted to wanted to know why the preachers did all that huffing, right? You need to, to come to the it's just because we couldn't take a deep breath. Because you think, oh, if I dress in a three-piece suit and a tie with spit shine shoes and clean fingernails, the Lord's happy with me. But you come in after having a week of not living for the Lord one bit, not spending any time within reading his Bible and praying and think because you put on a three-piece suit, you feel better. God is much more interested in being than doing. All right? It says, be not conformed. We can conform. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to be different on the inside. And then the outside will naturally change or supernaturally change. Amen? Keep going. Okay, Matthew, he said, accept your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is not achieved by keeping the law. Keep going, this is just review, just want to set us in there. Remember in 2 Corinthians, God made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I will never achieve any kind of righteousness with my own works. By keeping the law. The only way I get any righteousness before God is because I hand over my sin to Jesus and hand, he hands me his righteousness. Hallelujah. Man, if it was up to me to be righteous, I'm out of luck. Keep going. So he gives, uh, gives us six illustrations, right? We looked at killing last week. Today we're going to look at adultery. Keep going. 
These are illustrations of how the Jews had lost sight of the spirit of the law. It was not an external showing, but an attitude of the heart. It was internal. Jesus came to change us from the inside out. All right, all that's intro. You ready? All right, I'm not. Okay, the Old Testament law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. We just read it. Jesus says, the look to lust, the attitude, not the action. He says, if you look upon a woman to lust after her. Now, I got to put a caveat here. Because this is addressed with the Pharisees and the scribes as the main focus, okay, this is solely addressed to men and their behavior. So he says you look upon a woman. I want to put a caveat in here, uh, a further description, that this works for ladies too. Okay? That we have an interesting culture that has developed now where, unfortunately, the women's rights movement a few years back said men are pigs. Well, you know what the solution to that is? Women need to become pigs too. And we've gotten to the point now where some of the weird behaviors and lustful uh, actions in our world that might have been associated only with men toward women is now women toward men. And they've decided that to present themselves as equal in the eyes of the world, they need to act as perverted and disgusting as men do. And they do. So even though God addresses this because he's saying, scribes and Pharisees, guys, in that day, who were scribes and Pharisees, men or women? Men. They were all men. So Jesus said, if you can't exceed their righteousness, and then he uses that as an example, so he says, if you're going to lust after a woman, because he's talking to a group of men as the example. Okay? So I just want to put that out there, because if you spend any time, I don't even want to mention... Watching TikTok, looking at movies, listening to rap music or anything else, you will see here and see some of the most disgusting things coming out of women's mouth as well. So I've got to be clear in this. Although this is written specifically in context because he's addressing a group of people, this lustful behavior is effective on everybody. All right? Uh, so with that in mind, notice... He says, if you look upon, not just see. Um, I don't know about you, but it is very, very difficult in our world today to do anything on a daily basis without seeing something that can draw your mind away. Okay, If you decide to not have a television or not read newspapers or not have a smartphone or not go to the grocery store or not... I'm sorry, just about wherever you go, We live in a sex-saturated society. It is out there. The temptation is right before our eyes every single day. So I just want to be clear. When God says, look, you're going to see a lot of stuff, but it doesn't mean you look. Hey, there's a difference. So we're going to look at that in a second. We're going to look at it in a second. Um, Heard an interesting phrase the other day. I was watching this... uh, a seminar on marriage and uh they they said gentlemen what do you say when your wife says 
Wow, did you see that beautiful woman? Anybody have the answer? What beautiful woman? <laughs> Great, that's what we do. Okay, lady walking on the side of the street, and your wife asks you, ooh, she was pretty, wasn't she? Who? Right, because we've gotten to the point so badly in our culture that just to, to have noticed somebody is a bad thing. I want to make sure we're not going too crazy with this because God is going to show us something in a minute. That there's nothing wrong with seeing something. It is what is your response when you get into that situation. All right, keep going. King David is a terrible example of this, but God, the man after God's own heart, the one that God had been waiting for, the plan that God had was for King David to become the one who would sit upon that throne and it's still called the throne of David, that Messiah, okay? God's pick blew it in this area, okay? Here's the passage. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time, now, I'm going to read this, remember this, we'll be back to this. At the time when kings go forth to battle, keep that in mind, okay, that David sent Joab, and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still in Jerusalem. Keep going. And it came to pass at eventide that David arose off his bed and walked upon the roof of his house. And from the roof of his house he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, uh, wife of Uriah the Hittite, one last, and David sent and took her, and came, she came into him, and he lay with her, and she was purified for uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Notice the progression. He saw, he looked, he inquired, and he took. Now, uh, at this point, I'd like to put a rewind button in Sunday school. And talk about the fact of temptation. That in this world, there are tons of temptation. And we looked in the passage in uh, 1 Timothy this morning about what happens. You get temptation, and then you fall into that temptation. And then it snares you. This is that same concept, guys. David went up, saw something, whoops. And then he looked. And after he looked... He went a little further, started inquiring. Before you know it, he took. Understand something. Even though we are talking about lusting after a woman with the idea of the Pharisees and the sexual connotation behind that, guys, this is temptation in general. Okay? What happens if you just happen to be walking by uh, a table at a restaurant? And the people just got up and left. And right there at the end of the table is a $20 bill for a tip. And you can look at that and say, oh, look, they gave a good trip, 20 bucks. Or you can go, hey, nobody's looking at that 20 bucks. That just became my 20 bucks. Don't we have temptations everywhere? Just to understand something. Last week, remember we talked about it's not, uh, not a sin to be angry. Right? We talked about that, remember? Because God is angry. And God actually tells us, be angry and sin not. Okay, well, there's a, a great teaching here. 
It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin when you fall into temptation. Okay? So just because there happens to be a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, I don't know, what would you say? Okay, manly man, okay? Just because they're there doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because you see it doesn't mean it's wrong. But what do you do with the temptation? That is the issue, right? So Jesus is trying to bring us to this point. You might see a woman, but if you look on her and lust after her, now it's not just I visualized some things with my eyeballs, but now I've processed it in my heart and my mind. And now I'm not just seeing her, now I'm looking. If you look unto her and lust, we've crossed the line. Because imagine the Pharisees, I have never in my entire life committed adultery with another woman. I haven't touched another woman, I haven't slept with another woman, I haven't anything. But in their heart, what have they done? Jesus is trying to say, listen, just like killing, there's so much more to it when you're my, in my kingdom, when you're a part of my family. Same thing with this. Just because you didn't physically touch somebody of the opposite sex doesn't mean the spirit of the law means you can just go off willy-nilly in your mind. Let's be careful. Keep going. Remember, temptation is not a sin. If it was, we are bound for an eternal hell. Because that means our Savior, who knew no sin, actually was a sinner. What does this verse say? For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that's Jesus, but was in all points tempted as we, yet without sin. Jesus Christ had the same temptations that you and I have. He just never blew it. Every opportunity that you and I have, Jesus had the same opportunities. But he never sinned. So again, temptation is not wrong. Because if it was, we'd be every moment of every day there's temptation. Right now there's temptation. Temptation for you to tell me to shut up in your head. To say, Pastor, it's already quarter after. That coffee's not working. Hurry up and be finished. There's all kinds of things that we're tempted to do. Our response is what Jesus is focusing on. You can see a beautiful woman. Just what are you going to do in your mind with that? You can, you can see a beautiful, handsome, buff, well-rounded uh, man. What are you going to do with that in your mind? Okay? Keep going. This is what I love because, again, page two to Sunday morning, we talked about that temptation being the bait to lure you in. Am I saying that right, Brother Dan? Look what it says here, James. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God threw uh, the devil, your own flesh throws that bait out there and says, Come on, take a bite, take a bite. Because you know what's great? This word here, Dan broke down some Greek for us this morning. This word conceived, when lust has conceived, it means to catch or to clasp. So the temptation's out there. A little worm wiggling on the hook. 
Ooh, I'm a fat and juicy worm. But when it is conceived, it catches you. That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, listen, you think just when the temptation's out there, you can start conceiving it and you're okay still because you didn't do anything about it with your physical body? It's already caught you. And you're in trouble. Okay, what does it say? Lust conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Go back and read. Second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, right around verse 9 that we looked at this morning. Keep going. So Jesus' focus. God has given us an inward strength to resist this temptation. You and I will be tempted. Yes? You will be tempted. I'll say it one more time. You will be tempted. And Brother Dan kind of said this morning, if you're not, maybe you're not in the middle of what God wants you to be doing. Okay? Man, I tell you, I, we, we could have stood up here and preached the same message at the same time, just from two passages. Okay? And the more and more you mature in the Lord, the worse and worse it's going to get. The little temptations that used to trip you up, now you know how to handle. So the devil's got to bring out the big guns. Okay, look at a couple verses just to remind us of this, folks, please. Okay, next slide. James 1, 2, and 12. My brethren, count it all joys when you fall into multiple, many, diverse temptations. Count it all joy. Because you know what? If you're being tempted and you realize you're being tempted, that means you can resist it, right? Next part. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord that promised, uh, promised in them that love him. There's the difference. You, well, you know why you count it all joy? Because when the Lord gives you the strength to get past it and move on, you know that he's working in your life. When we fall and crumble before it, isn't it great to know that uh, some of you have known me in my younger years, but... None of you really knew me at the point that I'm about to address. I had such a hot temper. Man, you wouldn't believe. Uh, I'm just telling you. Uh, my third grade teacher had to duck behind her desk because I picked my desk up and threw it at her. I, the, the whole books and all bounced it off her desk, hit the blackboard, boom. Okay, I was a miserable kid with a hot temper. And into my teenage years... Uh, I, I never got uh, that boxer fist or whatever they call it that some of uh, us young men know what it is when you happen to punch a wall and pick the stud instead of the soft spot. Thank the Lord I never had that, but I won't tell you that I didn't have a couple of bloody knuckles now and then because I had a hot temper. Well, I thank God, and the only reason I'm telling you this is because many of you would say, Pastor, I can't believe that. Praise God that I endured that temptation and God's given me some motive of a victory somewhat of a victory it's still an old nasty root that kind of springs up now and then my dad dad had a hot temper too <laughs> i'm not gonna shh. i'm not gonna talk about my father 
but you, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree, right? But it says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he has tried. God says, you know, you know what? You're going to have temptations in this life, and you're going to be tried in those temptations. But the more God gives us the victory, the more and more we can see God working in our lives. We're not just checking off a box to say, God, I didn't do it again. Woohoo, me. You can say, God, you're doing something inside. And those times that I used to just blow up like a, you know, dynamite, I got a much longer fuse. And the only reason that's possible is because of what God has done in me. We will be tempted. What do you do with the temptation? Keep going. All right. So, we can't isolate ourselves from everything because I guarantee you, folks, and I can only speak from the mind of a man because that's what I got, the mind of a man, all right? You can lock somebody in solitary confinement for a month. He's still going to struggle with temptations because it's not about what is in your presence. It's what is in your mind because this is where the battle of sin takes place. It's fulfilled out here in what we do, but the battle of sin is within. So Jesus is trying to say, listen, those Pharisees and Sadducees, they got to lock down what happens out here, but they're missing the picture that the battle is within. We can't isolate ourselves. So there's nothing wrong with admiring a beautiful woman. <gasps> did he just say that? Yes, I did. You know how I know that? Because how many times in the Bible did God say, this woman was very fair to look upon. She was beautiful. Her sister, not so much. Okay? If God is making that differentiation, and go ahead and read the Song of Solomon. What a beautiful book about how a man loves his wife. Nothing wrong with admiring beauty. What do you do with it after you see it? Do you look? Do you inquire? Do you take? Is the temptation endured? Or do we fall? Do we get it conceived in our mind and it clasps onto us? Jesus is saying, if you've gone that far, guys, it doesn't matter if you touch or not. You've already messed up. All right? Don't use as an object of lust. And again, let me put a qualifier here. If in Sunday school, we talked about the fact that when lust is conceived from temptation and it had nothing to do with sex, that had to do with the th cares and the monies of this world. Same thought. Temptation conceived within you, it develops out, and all of a sudden you fall into lust for money or for possessions. Or for... This isn't just about, but Jesus happens to be focusing on this because this is where the Pharisees were struggling. Okay, keep going. We must be changed on the inside and know when we need to remove ourselves from it. Watch what you look at. Okay, Job said this, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why, not, why then should I think upon a maid? Now notice he doesn't say I'm never going to look at one. He says I'm not going to think on one. Can't help but see it, but I'm not going to overstep that bounds. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes and say, nope, not going there. 
Temptation is always there, but this is the fact that Jesus is trying to point out. Keep going. The teaching is there's a high price to pay to maintain sexual purity. We read the verses already, and here this is where I, sometimes passages you don't want to talk about. Jesus uses a bit, a bit of hyperbole here. Okay, and um, oh, before we get any further, notice Jesus mentions hell again. And there are those in Christian churches, quote-unquote, who like to talk about, or not talk about hell, tell you there is no hell. But our Lord Jesus spent twice as much time talking about hell than he did heaven. There is an eternal punishment coming. Not because God is sending us there. We're already all going there because of our sin. Jesus came with the rescue mission. God's not sending us there. God's the one going, yo! I got a way for you to get out of this. But Jesus mentions hell again. But I want you to see this real carefully. Keep going. The eye being the window to the mind. He said, if your eye offend thee, pluck it out. Right? The, the light of the body is the eye. And man, go ahead and look that one up anymore. You want to know how many times the Bible uses the phrase an evil eye? A person who has an evil eye doesn't necessarily mean they're giving you the, the whammy, okay? It means they have an eye that searches for things that they, it shouldn't be looking for. You've got an evil eye. You've got an eye that is always drawn to a temptation. He says, you got an eye? Plug it out. Now stay with me. Keep going. He says, if you got a hand... Cut your hand off. Now stay with me, please. If we stop the sermon, if I stop breathing here, there's more to this. Okay? I want you to understand that. Okay? The eye allows temptation to enter. What we just saw, we look. We see. We begin to act. He says, you know what? Better to stop what you're looking at than to mess this up. Better to not be able to fulfill what you're looking at than to mess this up. This is serious business. It starts on the inside out, but here's the key, guys. Next slide, please. The reason I studied, uh, say this, very, I'm going to say this, extremely sensitive subject. I had a college classmate who got himself a little bit backward in his Bible study, got himself a little bit wound up with certain things, and actually, I'm sorry, to, I'm just going to say it, took a spoon and removed both of his eyes because he had taken this scripture the wrong way. Because he was struggling with lust in his heart and he thought the solution to it was this. Please bear with me. Okay, One of the most important rules of Bible study that you will find is you always take a scripture literally until you cannot take a scripture literally anymore. These are one of the passages that Jesus never intended for us to take literally. How do I know that? The scripture says, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Well, if I'm lusting after a woman and I still have a left eye, I can still lust after a woman, can I? 
It does nothing to remove one eye. He's trying to say, he's using this major exaggeration saying, this is so serious, I want you to understand this. He said, if your right hand offend thee, cut it off. Well, I still got a left hand. Do you understand the point? He's not saying go do this. He's saying the consequent, the, the actual sacrifice that you should be willing to make is so severe. Because I'm, ta- I'm sorry. I know a couple of guys in my life who have one eye. And I've heard some of their conversations. And they lost after women just as much as they did when they had two eyes. You get it? I'm just saying this very careful because we try to take verses and we twist them. And this poor fellow that I went to college with read this and completely misunderstood what God was getting at. Jesus says this is such a serious, serious problem of our uncontrolled lust when it comes to temptations. He said you should be willing to actually sacrifice your own life parts of your own being to avoid this you with me i don't want anybody to leave with a misconception of this part of the verse you think you could commit adultery with one hand come on answer the question okay and one eye like I said, I know a couple of guys. Well, I went to college with one of the fellows. used to freak us out. He'd come into the lunch thing and put his glass eye in the apple. That's the truth, brother. You can do it. You can be a, a very, very handicapped person and still commit adultery, but especially because you're doing it within your head. Yeah. That's exactly right, man. So, but he used to, Byron was his name. He had a glass eye. And he used to put it, come to the lunch table and have the, he'd take his eye out and put it in the apple and just leave it sitting on the table until somebody noticed. And then he'd say, that's the apple of my eye. That's not a joke. He really used to do that. Okay, so I've known my whole life a lot of people who have one eye. You can still fall in sin with one eye. So I, I don't want anybody ever leaving here thinking that Jesus said it was okay to cut pieces of your body off He's just trying to say, remember the rule of Bible study? You take something literally until you can't take it literally anymore. God's not saying remove an eye because it'll keep you from committing adultery. No, he's saying there are serious consequences. You better seriously, seriously consider what you're going to do. And if you have a part of your life that is causing you to go that direction, you should be so committed to not doing that that you would be willing to take the extreme measures. Okay, But please, nobody leave here thinking that I need to cut a hand off because you can still sin in your head. Like I said, you could be in solitary confinement, nothing but darkness, and still fall into temptations and lust. It is not what happens outside, it is what happens inside. And that's what Jesus' whole point was to these Pharisees and to those who are listening. Okay, the problem is the mind. Yep, oh, go ahead, yep. The Pharisees were using their marriage contracts to outwardly show faithfulness to the wife, but inwardly and secretly it was not a loving commitment to her. Many Christians do this. Maybe you've seen it yourself. Maybe we struggle. Well, I've been married for 29 years. Whoo, look at that little thing walking by. Careful. 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 
Just because you have been married for a long period of time doesn't mean you're not violating this. Because it's not an outward show. It's not just a piece of paper. It's in the heart. It's in the mind. Is your love greater now than it was then? Because guys, remember, and I could preach a whole other section, but I told you it'd be done early. <laughs> that Jesus said the marriage is a picture of his love for his bride, the church. Jesus would never, ever, ever do that to us. His commitment is eternal, and his love grows more and more every day. That's why we talked about still sweeter every day. The song. Keep going. So the solution? Flee. Number one, if you're in a place that is causing you some difficulty in this area, get out. I can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. This has been a plague on mankind from the very beginning. Don't think, well, I'm super Christian. All those other people who have fallen in this sin of lusting after the opposite sex, eh, they're beneath me. I can handle it. Get out of there, right? What did Potiphar do? I mean, what did Jesus do? Joseph do with Potiphar? Remember, she kept enticing him. Day after day after day after day. And Joseph comes in and gra- he, she grabs him by the coat and says, this is happening. And he left his coat and ran. Flee, right? That's what it says, caught him. Stay away from the stuff that brings you to temptation. Keep going, next one. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sins against his own body flee youthful lusts and follow after righteousness faith charity peace with them that call on the lord for a pure heart now i want to focus on that again righteousness faith charity peace and to them that call on the lord out of a pure heart because the second part of this first part is flee second part focus think on these things You know how to, if uh, you're fleeing and you're out of there, but you're still having a struggle in your mind, well, change what your mind is thinking about. This is not very hard, is it? And Dan danced around this verse this morning. He was above it and below it. Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are, excuse me, just are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be on the praise, think on these things. Dan read verse 7, I think we're at verse 12 this morning. Guys, listen. If you have a problem with lust, if you're struggling with your desires, don't stand there and just think, I got this. I am, uh, Lord, you give me everything I need to resist. Flee, get out of there. Okay? And if you happen to be in solitary confinement because you did something with your wife and she's mad at you and now you're in the doghouse, literally, no, I'm just saying. Think on the right things. David said, I saw then i looked then i didn't just see and looked i inquired 
And then before you know it, he took. Think on the right things. Flee and then change your focus, man. Keep going. Last little bit. Told you. This is our review. So this morning, Jesus is reminding us, killing again wasn't just about taking somebody's life. It was about how you treat others. You think you're better? You have aught with them? You think you, you don't have a relationship you, you need to fix? Well, now he's talking about lusting after the opposite sex. And he says, you know, the Pharisees got a contract, and we'll deal with this next week because the next one we're going to deal with is marriage. And you know, it was so simple in those days for a Jewish man to get divorced that all he would have to do is walk up to his wife and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times, and it was divorce. That's all it took. No reason was necessary because they didn't value that relationship that God is with husband and wife. Well, God has just reminded us this morning with these Pharisees, he says, Jews that are here looking at me as king of kings and you think it's just not physically committing adultery? He says, you're missing the point. That's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law says, watch out for temptations because if it snares you and you start lusting, you've already violated that second commandment that he talks about. So my encouragement to us, whatsoever things are good, honest, lovely, faithful, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And why wouldn't we want to, when we talk about contentment this morning in Sunday school, that the things of this world shouldn't mean anything to us because we already have everything we need in Christ. Why would we wander about looking for something that we need or we want when everything we need is in Christ? If we can find that great balance, meaning I am, have everything I need in my Savior and my relationship with God, so when a lust pops up, a temptation pops up, I should say, I'm not drawn by that little worm on the hook. I can look at this and say, not something I need. I'm all set. Have your focus where it needs to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Father, every single one of us will be tempted. That's what the word of God says. But Father, thank you so much for making a way for us to escape. Lord, we can either flee and get ourselves away from it so that we keep ourselves from falling, from being drawn in and clasped and caught. But Father, at the same time, if we would train our minds, because that's where the battle of sin truly takes place. Jesus says, maybe in your physical flesh you hadn't committed adultery, but you're losing the battle in your mind. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, as we realize how close we can get to you, that's why that song, Lord, we sung for you a few minutes ago. It says, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. Lord, the closer we are walking with you, the more we are trying to be like our Savior the less likely are we going to be ensnared by all the traps that are around us on a daily basis. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus reminding us it's not about a physical, outside, external action. 
that it's from the heart. The battle is in the mind. Father, help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. Go out into this world and show people what contentment is like. I already said this morning when I was listening, and Dan preached a doozy. Get it? Go listen to it, man. I was in the back on man. I needed this one this morning. Try this this week. Somebody says, how you doing? Don't just say fine or give the, yeah, how you doing? How about saying, I'm content? Because that's not what's said very often. But maybe it'll perk up a question. You're content? Why? I got everything I need. Amen? Go out there and share your faith with somebody this week. Love you. See you next time. Yeah, well, it hadn't been too bad. Got real cold Wednesday. And then with all the rain on Friday, I was like, they can't mow it on Friday. Uh, what do you call it? Yesterday, I mean, with all the rain. Yeah, I was like, yeah, so probably sometime this week. All right, just let me know. Yeah, like, you know.